Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed Podcast. This is a special end of the year 2021 recap. We've got myself, Michael Morrow, and Jason Loftus, all three in the Rocky Mountain area. How are you doing, guys? Doing pretty good. How about you? I look and feel. I just went and got a haircut, and the lady told me she'd never seen my hair that long. <laughs> I look and feel like somebody who's been living in their mom's basement for the last 15, 20 years because all I've been doing is editing video. I went outside <laughs> for like five minutes and got a sunburn today. So I'm excited <laughs> to spend some time outside, but I've got one more to do and then we're done with it for a bit. What about you, Jason? What have you been up to? Been just working, to be honest with you. That's not I'm that's Trying a to get lie. a little bit of editing done. I, I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> made, a, made a few day trips up to the Tetons for some moose and stuff. Um, other than that, not a lot. Day trips? Did, did have some, yeah, you know, crazy me. Just, I keep telling myself I'm getting too old for it, and I am getting too old for it. It really does kick my butt now. But leave it, you know, two in the morning, get there, shoot for a few hours, then turn around and come home that night, go to work the next day, that kind of stuff. But, wow. But, you know, when, it's, when the action's there and you want to try to capture some of it, you just take make the sacrifice and do what you got to do. So. And it's paid off. It was worth the trip. So um, a couple of the trips, one of the trips was pretty much a bust, but the other two, I definitely got some stuff that was, that I felt was well worth the time. So you just had a picture up on Instagram with the moose in the snow. Was that from one of those trips? It was. Yep. Yep. I finally got around to editing those. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show before. I don't know why I want to tell everybody my OCD issues, but I have this, <laughs> I have this problem where I, tell myself I can't edit any photos from a trip until I've edited all the previous photos from previous trips. So I go through and edit up things like, so I just barely finished with elk, for example, from the elk rut. So now I've freed myself up to do whatever the next date of a shoot was. <laughs> and it's so stupid. I know it is. I'm saying it out loud. I don't loud think it is though. Cause I have that whole, I do that with a lot of things. You know, if I'm doing a job, I won't invoice or, or even work up the invoice till it's done, delivered. I know a lot of people, once they deliver the project, but haven't got approval, the invoice is out the door. Right. right. And I have to wait till everything is clients happy. I'm happy. It's out there. Then I do. Right. So yeah. I get it. Yeah. It's just my way of keeping me from getting lazy and not you know, not getting edited files edited that I think I need to edit, you know? So, but yeah. So I'm barely on moose. I haven't even touched deer or anything yet. So I got, I got a lot, I got a lot to edit over the next release few weeks. yourself. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> and then you said it's, it's how much time per image? Like if you're going to work up an image, you're probably looking at what, 30 minutes? No, no, no. For me on an average image, I'm probably spending five to 10 minutes. Um, there's, there are times when I'll spend a half hour to 45 minutes on an image, but it's pretty rare. Most of the images I do are probably in that average about five to seven minutes, something like that. I try to get it as right as possible in camera to save as much time as possible in post, you know, but you know, and then there's always those images where 
I didn't get it right in camera and I was far enough off that I can't do anything with it. And I, even though I, I'll spend a half hour trying and then I'll waste that time, give up and scrap the image. But <laughs> you start shooting uh, elk in what, August and then you finish uh, end up of August. Yeah. What, end mid, of middle first of October? October, first of October. Yeah. So how many images do you roughly estimate that you got that you shot for elk this year? Right, so I actually tracked it again this year. I did this last year too, just because I was curious. Um, I spent a total of thirteen days, no, fourteen days in the elk woods this year. Um, that's early season, middle of the rut, and then kind of postseason rut stuff. And I took twenty-seven thousand images. I edited, I or I culled that down to about seven thousand that I kept. And a lot of those obviously are, you know, bugle poses and heads turn different angles, obviously, you know. Um, and then I edited 450 of those images. And I think of those, I'm like real, real happy with probably three or four of them. <laughs> you know, real excited about three or four of them. So a little more than that this year because we had that crazy fun day that you know that last day that i was out there that we talked about on the podcast with kelly you know that was an incredible i did end up getting quite a few images from there that i edited um and there's you know five or six from that day that i was real excited about so i probably ended up with 10 or so that i was really happy with but that gives you a feel from my perspective of the amount of time and energy it takes to go out try to get images and the culling process and how many images you have to take to get to you know, five or six images that you're really, really happy with, you know, but, and maybe it's just cause I'm that bad. I don't know, but <laughs> it, and I can admit, no, it, you I think know, I, I'm still learning. As your so. images get better, you get a lot more picky and the ones that you spend time That's on. That's true too. I've noticed that. Are just a, a, that much higher level. Right. You know, it's funny is that, you know, it's a progression. We always talk about that. And I'm, I think I'm starting to get to a point in my journey where there's images I would have edited in the past just because it's an elk image and somebody may at some point want it. And I'm really starting to not do as much of that. I'm stopping that activity. I'm starting to be more specific about what I want to edit. Um, I think there's, there's other photographers that do that very well, like, you know, Gary and Mitch, the Creek Bed Boys. I know they have lots of images out there and they don't edit. They don't go through and pick all their images and edit them up. They kind of just go through, look at them, find one that they really like and then edit it. And then they'll go some other day and edit another one. You know, they don't, they don't do it like I do it, which everybody has their own process. But my point is, I know I've, I don't know if I'd call it wasted, wasted a lot of time over the past with photos, but I've definitely spent time on images that I will never use. You know what I mean? Editing them. Now, maybe I learned some things by editing, you know, taking the time and editing those. And it was probably good for me, but I'm learning that there's a lot of images that I just don't need to edit, even though I think I do. That's why I like Lightroom and that sync button, because there's... You know, all those ones, when you go through and call, one is, it's a keeper, but it's not necessarily top of the heap. Two or three is a keeper that is going to turn into something. And I'll just, I'll edit a two or three and then everything that's in the same light, just sync it and then leave it if I'm not going to use it. You know, so at least right. you've gotten that far. So if you decide to use it later, you get a call for images from a magazine or whatever, you can go back and look at some of those others that maybe haven't been published yet and 
and you're able to use those and you're already kind of ahead of the curve as far as the edit goes. You don't have as much cleanup to right. do. But You know, that's a really good point, Ron. I've never thought about that, but you're right. I mean, I do use that, you know, copy-paste or whatever, you know, with the when light conditions are similar on images that, you know, can have the same, a very similar edit. And that definitely saves time. But that's a smart move. Um, you know, I, I think I've taken the approach of doing it ahead of time just in case they need it. Then all I have to do is send it to mm -hmm. them. And how often do I actually send an image? It's pretty right. rare. So it'd be better off to go back and do it the way you're talking. It'd save me a ton of time. So, yeah, I'm learning. I'm slow, but I'm learning. Me too. <laughs> Through failure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think going back to if you get 27,000 images and you ended up with, what, 10 to 12, you said? I, I kept about 7,000 that I kept. No, but, I mean, the keeper, keeper, top of the heap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 to 12 images total. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, in today's world, I think that's really good. Oh, because really? I think there's, I know photographers that are happy if they get five in a whole year. You know, we're right. talking wall hangers. We're talking images that will just stand the test of time. They would be used in a magazine. They would be used on somebody's wall for fine art. That sort of an image. Not just your average everyday, hey, this is a pretty pose with a pretty bowl or whatever right. it's got to have something in it those standardized images just don't cut the mustard anymore you know it's funny though so you say that mike and now i'm starting to like i i'm positive that i'm not there with maybe my perception of what um what one of those images is and i think as i progress like ron alluded to and i see it myself i get more and more picky every year about what is what is a good image and i just think i'm I'm not quite there at that level with some of those other photographers, obviously. Um, and I will get to the point, I'm sure, where, you know, if I if I get one or two images that I'm really excited about a year, I'll be real happy. You know, Harlan's that way a lot. I mean, he, you know, I know we talk about Harlan a lot, but he, he is very picky about his images. And he does not put up stuff or, or he won't even spend the time editing it unless it's something that's really special, you know, in his mind. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I got, I, I'm a rookie. I have so much to learn and I love, you know, I love the learning process. So that's, what's fun. And I can see myself growing. It's a slow rate, but I can see myself growing and progressing and being more picky. And, and I know that's just all part of the process. And I know that's because I'm learning your points valid. But I, so me to say, I got 10, if, if I had somebody like you sit down and look at him, you might say, yeah, you got one <laughs> and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of photographers out there that if they get five in a year, they're super right. happy. Right. But we're talking, you know, like special said, images. Yeah. Right. Limited yeah. edition worthy, you know, type images. So, right. There's just so much stuff that has to come together, right? Yeah. Even beyond the technical, you know, aspects of, of what we do, it's it's more about the light, the location, the animal. I mean, there's just so much stuff that has to work out. Yeah, I think it was this year that that really started to dawn on me that that really does take, you know, it's not – once you get the technic, technical aspects of photography down – now you're just you got to be out in the field and you got to be there when those special moments happen and you got to be technically capable of capturing it and you know for everything to come together like that crazy morning i know we keep talking about it, but it was such an amazing morning for that to happen i mean that's i will be surprised if i ever see another morning like that in my lifetime and i mean that i mean it was that special and so 
you know, I do believe I probably got four or five images out of there that are very unique and that I haven't seen before and that will be very tough to replicate, you know, so I do feel good about that. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, your point's valid. I really am starting to cue in on, you know, yes, it's a big bull and a metal bugling, but everybody and their dog has seen that a million times, you know? And so, and another thing I'm learning, and I know this will go against some of my mentors' opinions and advice, but it it's definitely not always has to be the biggest bull or the baddest bull or the biggest baddest buck. Um, you can get some amazing stuff in very unique situations. That's what you'd call just an average bull or an average buck or an average animal, whatever it is. So yeah, I'm really starting to cue in more on those special unique situations and those special unique lighting situations. Um, and I'm trying to, I guess, use that to set myself apart instead of just, you know, having the biggest animal or whatever, you know, get on so. several, oh, well, Sorry, I was just going to say, you get on several magazines, mailing lists, and they send you the email for their call for images. And I know we've talked about this before as well. It's never, you know, we need a big bull bugling in a meadow. It's always, you know, right. we, we need cows interacting with calves, cows fighting, cows chewing on bones. We need, you know, black bears, cinnamon black bears standing up. Or cinnamon black bear running away. Right. It's always something crazy that you probably wouldn't even shoot now, but you need to. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you need those unique, yeah. unique images, and that's what everybody else is not shooting anyway. So that's what's going to, you know, get you paid a little bit when those things come yeah. come around. Those stories come around. Well, right. I think the hard thing for me about that, and I ended up fixing it and i addressed that once i figured it out but i would always go pick my spot based on the spot it was based on the habitat or the light and then i was just going to hope that there was going to be a animal or critter there just because i knew everybody is over on the other side of the ridge they're all they're lined up shooting the same thing and if i could just get one thing that's different or one thing that's just you know the light's right or the background is spectacular or whatever that was going to be, that was going to separate it. So I think yeah. there's a lot to be said for that. Well, well, so you've said it multiple times on this podcast. <laughs> and again, it's like, it's one of those things. And I think we've talked about it before, but, and I think this is a good, a good, maybe this is one of my pro tips. <laughs> All right. In fact, yeah, it is going to be it, one of my pro let's tips. Let's make it your pro tip. You know, I really think when you're in the field and you're, and you're hanging with other photographers and you're watching what they're doing, you know, we talked about watching, paying attention to where they're at, what they're doing, what they're paying attention to, how they position themselves. All those little things are, that's, that's a really, it's a really good way to learn. And it's a really quick way to, you know, shorten that learning curve. Um, but the other thing is listening to what they're talking about and listening to what they're saying. And Mike, in this podcast, and Ron, you have too, and Mark has too, you all have dropped little nuggets of wisdom here and there, just kind of in passing. And they're, they're, <laughs> they're real nuggets of wisdom that if you really take to heart and listen to, that you can, you know, you can really set yourself apart or, you know, go and take advantage of some of those things. And you know, I've, I've mentioned it before with, you know, I'm, when I'm with Harland or you guys or any of the other guys that I like to shoot with, I'm always listening for those little, you know, tidbits of wisdom and nuggets that I can take away. And, you know, hmm, why did he say that? And, you know, I really need to think about that, you know. And anyways, you've said it multiple times. So just a little word of advice. Don't just watch what's going on. Pay attention and listen to what's going on. 
I mean, if you want to make it in today's world as a photographer and try to sell some images, and it's, it requires that thought process, I think. You know, just cause, it really does. But I, the hardest thing to get past is it's so much fun, and it's we have such respect for these animals. And when you see a bull in its prime and it's doing its thing, I mean, it's hard to rip yourself away from that. It's yeah, just, it is. It's just a natural thing. You're just in awe. You know, I, yep. what in those situations, what we should do is just put the camera down and just watch, right? <laughs> yeah, get the cell phone out and just enjoy it and video some of it or something, you know. But <laughs> I got a request today from a stock agent where, and this is for video, but, you know, they're asking about a specific location. And I'm like, yeah, I got that. But then they, they're like, okay, good. Now that we know you've been there, we don't want just this specific. We want this specific location within this location. You know, and they just drill down so far that a lot of times I'm like, yeah, well, I've been there, but I didn't think about shooting that or I didn't thought it never even crossed my mind. You know, it could be a $500,000 sale. But when I was out there, my mind was on something totally different and I didn't even didn't even right. consider shooting what they were asking me for. And I that happens all the time. It really does matter. Again, it's about what are you out there for, right? Are you out there because you're trying to be published and you're trying to be competitive and you're trying to, you know, have images that you can, um, you know, try to get published and sell prints of and stuff? Or are you out there to hang with your buds, have fun, take some images, post them on Instagram? And you really should just focus based on what you're trying to accomplish. And there's nothing wrong with any of those levels or anything in between about what you're trying to accomplish, right? So if you are just out there to have fun and see a big bull and take some fun images and hang with your buds and be in a line with photographers, fine, do it. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. But yeah, just think about what you're what you're trying to accomplish as a photographer. That was the hardest thing that for to tear me away was that it's that camaraderie. You know, you know everybody's over there having a good time and they're just <laughs> shooting the bull. But that's kind of what inspired this podcast was, you know, this is fun to get around and talk about the stuff. So that was kind of let's go do get serious in the woods and then let's shoot the bull about it. When we get on a podcast, so, all right, good. Pro then, you can actually get, then you can actually get more shooting done in the field. Right. <laughs> well, you do so, get a lot more done when you're by yourself and you're hiking you around do. and you're, you know, there's a lot of time to think about, well, I better get something done here. I'm wasting a lot of time walking around. <laughs> well, Sorry, we've got good. for our, for our end of the year episode, we've got some questions uh, that we had left over from the previous question and answer podcast that we did and then we've got some pro tips that we're going to end the year with also so they better be good i hope you guys brought your a game for pro tips tonight well jason you already dropped you already dropped one so we'll let you let you off the hook for part of it it's not very good (laughs) okay all right so we're gonna we're gonna dig back into these questions and we'll try to get you the best answer that we can hold on one sec right there do you guys remember what the code is for for uh the case let's yep. do that real quick before we get into the questions go just to go get ahead. you know with the sponsor i was in the car with i was in the car with kelly elmer and he he actually went and used it and supported us oh good awesome so, thanks yeah no that was cool he bought one of those airport think tank airport security bags everybody oh, so everybody needs one of those mm-hmm. yep. and you can get one for what how how right. much off? <laughs> it's about eighty bucks off. It's yeah. significant. Eh, it's not quite eighty, almost. Yeah, I think so. I think aren't they over four hundred bucks? I think. Yeah, it was about eighty bucks off. I know that. I think he was about three twenty five, three thirty, 
when you know all was said and done. So that's a heck of a deal. Okay, and what was the code, Jason? It's Case Twenty Twenty One. So go to Precision Camera. Any think tank case that they have, you can use Case Twenty Twenty One in the the checkout. Enter that coupon code, and you'll get twenty percent off of your purchase. And that helps us continue to do what we like to do because Precision Camera is our title sponsor right now. So we wanna we wanna keep some business going their way, and they're giving a, a great deal. I mean, literally, this is a case that everybody should have one of because anytime you travel, this can be your primary, and uh, and you get eighty dollars off of the purchase price for that airport case. It also includes the SKB hard cases too. So anything that they have in now all of in these stock. are if they have it in mm-hmm. stock. So if you're looking at some sort of hard case, and those things get kind of spendy too. You know, if you're buying a bigger case, they're they're a couple hundred, two, three hundred bucks, depending on how big you're going. So if you're in the market for a hard case, that might be the way to to solve that that problem. I just got two of them, and I'm about to fill the second one completely up, making my change, <laughs> the change. Speaking of, if anybody wants a the Canon change. C70, I've got one for sale that's barely been used. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I am Shame finally <laughs> purchasing a red camera, so getting serious about the video. All right, we're going to go back to... Well, I think you should put that out there. This is a good spot for that. So if people want to buy it, what do they? What should we do? Do you want to just send them to the website and we'll put up a page and show pictures of it? Yeah, we can do or that. Do or they can just, just to connect contact you me with, through, through a DM? Instagram direct message through instagram or uh, i believe my phone number is on the instagram page so you can give me a call as well whoa you put your phone number up there for all the spammers to get you yeah that's why that is why my car's (laughs) extended warranty gets so much attention (laughs) and i have so many warrants out from the irs So, what do you got with the C70? It's probably got a battery and a charger and the camera itself. Extra batteries. It's got the cage. Um, It also has a speed booster from Canon, um, which basically it's a it's not it's a super thirty five sensor. So the speed booster basically makes it full frame or full frame equivalent, um, and also gives you a little bit more separation from your your background because the it extends the aperture of your lens in essence so you'll have a little bit better bokeh at a little bit deeper aperture if that makes sense well i'll tell you what let's do is let's build a site or i'll just build a web page on the wild and exposed page i'll get you some pictures you send me some pictures of all your stuff that way or a list we don't need pictures of everything but a list of everything that's there and then what we'll do is if you guys go to our Instagram account and you click on the link in the bio, that basically takes you to a link tree. And that link tree will have a bunch of different links in there and we'll put an equipment link. So that way it won't be like a, a clickable link right on the home page. But since you know that you have to go to the link tree, you can get right to this. So if you are interested in a Canon C70, go check it out. Yeah, it's a great, Help. great little might- tool. But go yeah. ahead, Jason. No, I'm sorry. There might be some Nikon gear on there, too. There will be. <laughs> That'll be sending over to you, Mike. All right, let's do it. So it's going to turn into quite the... I mean, I've got a pile of stuff in here. We, we, could, help, we could have our own 
KEH camera. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> There's only a couple other things that uh, housekeeping things that maybe we should cover before we get into the uh, questions. One is, if you guys are watching on YouTube, you can see the new sweatshirt. If I move everything here. It's just one of three designs that we have. So we have a raven and a moose and a doll sheep, but then we've got other ones coming up. We just threw these three out first. So if you're interested in a sweatshirt or a t-shirt, check them out. It's probably too late for Christmas now because mm -hmm. shipping. we're recording this what, a week and a half before And it won't Christmas go out till after Christmas. And won't air till after, yeah. Yeah, and this thing is, uh, when I ordered this one, it probably took two weeks to get to me, so... Mm -hmm. But don't forget the beanies and the hats, too. Beanies are great this time of year, right? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. And there's some good stuff. I've been buying more and more stuff just because, you know, we we work through a, what do you call it, when how we're doing it? A third-party third party printer. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we don't have this stuff to check it out before we actually buy it. So we have to buy it to check it out. Mm -hmm. And this is actually really soft and comfortable. and Looks like a nice hoodie, yeah. The other thing that we've got going on is and we've talked about it for years and years and years doing workshops and we've talked about it and then we've kind of shied away from it and then we've talked about it and shied away from it but we finally have got some workshops going on so if you go to that again is on the link tree so if you go to the link tree so that would be on the instagram link in the bio click on that then you can go to the workshops but we have a couple of trips in there that we are putting putting on and then we also have a couple of trips sponsored by, or not sponsored by, but put on with Drew Hamilton, who's a kind of a co-host of the podcast at times with us. And he's based in Churchill. And so he's done a, doing a bunch of Aurora and um, winter Aurora workshops in Churchill, which is one of the best places on the planet. To and film. if you haven't, or if you didn't see it, go to Drew's Instagram page and look up or look back at uh, about a week, a week before Christmas, he put a video clip up of the Aurora just blowing up right above him that I think he filmed with his phone. It's just ridiculous. And you can hear the emotion in everybody's voice. That's, that's there to see that it's just crazy. So that's a good example of what you have the opportunity to see up there. Yeah, and those guys are doing it right up there. They've got a pretty good little system going on. Drew's done it for years, so he knows all the good spots. And if you look at his, if you go follow one of those links that's on our page to his page, it's amazing the foregrounds that you can come up with. It's everything from old crashed planes to buildings to rock formations to trees to tents. I mean, they're just, they've got all kinds of cool stuff, so... If you're interested in any workshops, then follow that up. And I know Jason's working on a, one that we won't talk about. Well, yeah, we can talk about one. You're working on two. And one we can talk about. The other one is in the works. And as soon as it's ready to go, we'll talk about it. But why don't you just give us a snapshot into the one that you can talk about? Yeah, so it's a, it's a winter coach trip in Yellowstone, out of West Yellowstone. Um, we'll get that put up on there, too. So I won't go through all the details here. Um, but the cost and the... The details will be up in there, but it's three days of coach, private coaches. It's um, all-inclusive meals, um, room and board all provided, um, and I should be going on that trip, so I'm excited to be able to go on that trip and uh, tag along with everybody that will be um, joining us on that trip. 
And again, you know, the inner the inner Yellowstone tours, the best way to do inner Yellowstone, in my opinion, is on those coaches. And it is a private coach, so we will have free reign of where we want to go and how long we want to spend on things. Like if you remember last year, Ron and I were able to go do um, that. It's the same tour we did with Drew last year. Um, it's just, you know, I'm redoing it again this year. So three days in the park, um, meals included, room and board included. Um, should be a good time. You know, always always had a good chance to see. You're definitely going to see bison. Always a good chance to see coyotes, um, foxes, swans, you know, the different eagles. Um, uh, what am I missing? on Otters, thank you. Yep. Um, pine marten. Yep. So there's a lot of really, you know, kind of unique opportunities on these kind of tours. So um, that is, the, I think it's the end of February 1st of March is the time frame on that. So there's still some time to, to go out there and um, hopefully by the time this airs, it's not full because it's pretty popular. Um, but if it is, um, you know, we can look at maybe trying to put some more together. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. That should be fun. And the Drew that you're referring to for that is a different Drew. It's not Drew Hamilton. So Drew Hamilton is doing the Aurora stuff. Right. Your Drew is doing the Yellowstone stuff. Correct. Drew Butterwick. Yep. And then Ron's working on a few things too. So just keep in mind that uh, if you're in the market for a workshop, we're going to start putting them out there. And I know Doug Gardner does a few workshops every year, so I was thinking we should post his up there too because he does some pretty fun stuff. Doug does. Uh, Doug definitely knows his video, stuff. Video workshop, which I think still is one of the only ones going on out there, you know, with somebody his caliber teaching or doing the instruction. Um, and he does that in Wyoming for bighorn sheep, and they, you know, they hit the tail end of the mule deer rut, so you might get some mule deer. But the sheep action that that he gets on every year has been fantastic two days in a row they got that and he does a duck one he does too up in, in the Massachusetts northeast correct right? yep and then he does another one down in the swamps where he lives well he, he does used to do birds. day trips down there i don't know if he still does that but yeah doug's got yeah, a, lot of, he's doing a lot that. of opportunities but we'll post those up mm -hmm. there too and then any any workshop that ron and i are on we'll be doing video mm -hmm. Uh, instruction on those too so just know that anything that if we're on those trips we'll do we'll cover all the video that you want so there's that there's workshops we got the sweatshirts the workshops was there anything else that we had to cover before we get into this people are probably so tired of us talking about stuff and <laughs> no but thanks for hanging on we're about to although i think the very <laughs> <laughs> the first part was really good i was good to get jason's uh numbers on shoots that's yeah that's always interesting exactly. stuff for me i take way too many photos <laughs> you don't you don't yeah and you should take that many i think i think these today's world allows you to do that to so do it right what's it going to cost yeah. a couple of ones and zeros just yeah and time that's it yeah. so all right well are you guys ready for question number one we're going to get into some listener questions and then we'll see what kind of time we have left and uh, get into some pro tips as well to finish off the year. Hi, I'm Jenny. First of all, I'd like to say I love your podcast. And my question is on the R5, do you guys think that I should sell my 400 and 600 EF and get the new R EF lenses? I mean, the R5 lenses. Also, what do you guys think about using the 1.6 crop 
my other question is for you guys. I'm going, I feel like I'm kind of in a rut. What do you guys do when you guys are in a rut? And that's my questions. That last one's the toughest the one. Last one. The last one is like straight up where I'm at right this second. <laughs> <laughs> You're there by yeah, default. Yeah, I am. I am. It's, it's paying money. You, so. you wouldn't be there if you didn't right. want to be there. So I... So it, I want to do the 400 and 600 question. Hit it. Well, I just want to do it. If she'll sell them to me really cheap, then I think she should get the new one. Yeah, ones. and thank you, Jenny, for throwing that out there. <laughs> we know who it. to contact now. If you could contact <laughs> us through. Yeah, we'll put up a, a query the page. E, um, no, I, I, yeah, I was going to say the EF glass is fantastic. That's what I use. I know Jason got the new ones, but I haven't had any trouble. Um or using the EF glass on the on the R mount with the adapter. It hasn't given me a problem one. Do you think they're different glass in, in those? No, two? they're not. They just they just put the R I think it's they just, just changed the mount right? on the end of the lens, yeah. Because it's even a different right. color, isn't it, Jason? It's a silver. So they took yeah, took they the EF built, mount off they and built the adapter yep. in. They just literally built the adapter in and it's a silver color. It looks pretty, but yeah, I was going to say, if I hadn't bought the R5 and didn't have any, and already had Canon glass, I wouldn't have bought the new RF mount. I just did because why wouldn't I? Right. You know what I mean? And unless I was trying to save money, which would have been smart, and I, maybe I should have <laughs> just bought a used one. And you know, so I would say if it's working for you, don't don't spend the money. Spend the money on trips or spend the money on other Wild stuff. Wild like workshops. So, yeah, there you go. So there is a benefit to the EF in that you get to use the adapter, which has a drop-in filter. So if you have any inclination about going out and shooting video, I would purposely stay with the EF because then you can drop in neutral density and, and achieve a better look on the video with that adapter. But if well, you're you just shooting stills, You can do it on the RF lens too. You can use the drop-in, yeah. It's yeah, just a different drop-in. Right. That's a, and that's what I'm saying. It's I understand what you're saying. It is an advantage for that, but you still have the ability to do it on the RF. Yeah, it's the just filter, it's just not you know it's a a set N D, it's not the uh variable. Variable. Not yeah. the variable, right. Yep, yep, yep. And I I, I would say the other advantage, um, Jenny, is if you have a version one four hundred or six hundred the savings in weight that you're going to experience going to a version three, which basically the RF mount is all the same as the version three there. I would guess almost half as much weight as the original, not, you know, the twos got a little bit lighter, but the original ones were very, very heavy built like tanks, um, you know, built to last forever. And they do, they still take good quality images. But the savings in weight that you're going to get might might be an advantage or advantage enough. But you are going to spend a significant amount of money. I mean, the version one you could probably pick up right now for, what, 3000 bucks, And the version three, you're going to spend 13 or close close to. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked, but I bet you. I bet you they're holding their value because they do yeah. work so well yeah, with, the great. Adapter, with the adapter. So. So what do you guys think about the 1.6 crop? I've never used I don't, it. I don't think there's any reason to 
and I'll tell you why is because you have more flexibility to crop in post if you just shoot it full frame. And you might think you know what the shot is, but as you start to edit, you start to see the shot within the shot. And I think that, you know, that becomes a skill in and of itself, but you want to give yourself as much flexibility there as you can. And it's no different whether you crop it in post or you crop it in camera. You're still getting the same amount of megapixels in that size. It's the same sensor shooting the same thing. I Now, would this work? I don't do this, so I don't know, but... Would if you're going to be a video shooter shooting the R5, would it be beneficial to use a 1.6? Because let's say you're shooting at 4K and you're at 1.6, you can't crop in. If your ultimate output's 4K, if you start cropping in, then, then you, you drop, drop from to 4K to whatever, HD 3K or 2K or whatever. So there, I could see a use there if you're just shooting 4K. If you're shooting 8K on the R5 and you're using the 1.6, then you might as well just shoot 8K. Although it does give you that jump, that visible jump in, right? So I think for video, it would be handy. But for stills, I say no. Yeah, I don't I don't see any advantage to it. I, I like the full frame, and I just crop and post. And I'm actually trying to get better about not cropping as tight. I'm trying to, you know, compose things in, in cameras so I'm not doing as much cropping. Um, it's just my own, own, a challenge to myself. But it helps keep my images larger, too, obviously, for printing and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I don't see the advantage to it personally. Again, I think if you're shooting with a 600 millimeter, and if you throw a 1.4 on there, now you're at 900 millimeters, basically, almost. And you then you're just going to shoot in 1.6, so you're like 1,200 millimeter, or whatever it is, right? I can't remember the math. But, again, if you're that far away from something... In my opinion, you're not going to be happy with your images anyways because it's going to there's going to be something atmospheric that's going to interfere with your images. And at some point, it's like, uh, again, well, for me, I'm liking to shoot with the 400 a lot more. And I'm liking shooting with the 400 because of A, the 2.8, and B, because it gives me a wider perspective. And I'm really trying to do more environmental stuff instead of just in-your-face portrait stuff. So so that's my thoughts on it. I don't, I've never used I've tried it. I've played with it. You know, I just don't see the benefit of it. As far as the last question, getting in the rut, I do we can, can we get a psychologist on here? Because <laughs> we might need one by the time it's all said and done. Right. Jenny, you have no idea what you started. <laughs> um, when I get in a rut, I just try to go shoot something different, and it may be something way different. I mean, typically, big game, you know, horns, antlers, those are what I like to shoot and what I, where I spend my time. But I also, the, the really nice change in transition for me is I spend all fall usually on a normal year chasing the rut of every animal out there, every species in our area. And then in the springtime, it's more birds and fox and, you know, bobcats if you're lucky, but there's a lot of different opportunities. So I try to vary my opportunities so I avoid the rut, but I being just stuck in an editing room for the last whatever two months two and a half months has been uh it's put me into a serious I don't know if I'd call it a rut but it put me into a serious funk I got to get outside spend some outside time that's important it's rut worthy it's rut worthy <laughs> yeah for sure go ahead Jason what do you got yeah for me I find when I get in a rut it's probably more in my editing process my editing style 
and it's really interesting to me to see how much it's changed over the last few years. I, I, I've definitely gotten in many ruts when it comes to editing. Um, I think I talked about it before, but I've gotten into a rut when I was really, for whatever reason, was trying to make something out of images that they just weren't. I just had it in my head that all I had to do was really learn editing techniques and I could make, you know, whatever image I had, whatever I wanted it to be. And I, I think if you are really, really good with Photoshop and Lightroom, you probably could do that. But I definitely learned that I don't want to spend that kind of time on an image either. So, uh, you know, I got into that rut. Um, what got me out of it was literally walking away from editing for a while and just leaving it alone. And what I did is I went out and took a bunch of images and just tried to focus on something different for a while. And then when I came back to the editing room, so to speak, I I really just looked at it with a fresh set of eyes and tried to change that perspective. Um, but, you know, it's fun with the Lightroom stuff. I've, I've seen my style change, and it might be minor things here and there, little tweaks. But I'll find myself getting in a rut with the way I'm editing, too. I, I would say I get into the rut, I, getting to a rut with the lighting situations that I find myself looking for, too. You know, I mean, that that is kind of a style that I've, you know, taken on, I guess. But it also can be something where it's like if that's all I'm producing, I don't think that's good either. So, yeah, I, I think it's very common for all of it. Every friend I've had that, that I have that's in photography talks about getting into a rut, whether it's with their shooting style or whether it's with their editing process. It's very, very common. Um, and I just think you have to be able to just pull yourself back a little bit rethink some things, take a fresh look at some things and, you know, don't get discouraged. Don't get bummed out. You know, I think Kevin, when he was on that show, it's, it's funny how these younger guys and gals coming into the, into the mix can, they get real frustrated real quick. It's like, they want to be, you know, Scott talked about it too in the last spot in the last episode where he just wanted to be, he gave himself six months <laughs> to be an expert shooter. And we all literally laughed out loud, like, yeah, right. I mean, I would not be here if that was the case. I I still am giving myself another 10 years so I can get to where I want to be, right? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, I, I'm droning on now. But yeah, just back up, take a fresh look at some things. Um, maybe just try something new. And get, I like what Ron said. I, I did the same thing, get out and shoot. Um, to me, the way I get away and decompress from my normal everyday job and work and life and all the challenges I have is to go out and shoot. And that really helps me clear my head. So it's no different for me when I get in a rut. I just go out and shoot and try to clear my head. I think I do both both the things you guys said. But I also, what I'll do is I'll take one lens. And I'll take a lens that I don't use ever. So, and it's usually a wide angle lens and you got to go out. And it's really hard. But it makes you think a little bit differently. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> and I did that one whole year in Alaska where I just didn't pull out a big piece of glass. I just took a 24 to 70 and that was it. So if I can make an image with that, then that's what I was going to do. And I will and, that, uh, and, and yeah, I will say that one. <laughs> yeah, because you're forced to do it, the right? The one moose image. Holy yeah. crap. That is a lifer. Yeah. yeah, you're just forced to, you just know, okay, the image is here. You know, with with a telephoto you can be back so far and you can poach these images that are just awesome because you can rely on just a lot less distraction stuff right it's just you're just zoning in the minute you go wide it's a whole different ballgame and i think it's actually a cooler in the end with that habitat and you're telling a much bigger story you know i still it's like people ask me all the time do you like stills or video i still like stills better but i make a lot more money with video 
do I like telephoto or wide angle? I love telephoto. I'd much rather shoot a really pretty portrait than anything else. But I know that if I want to continue on in this profession, I've got to up my game. And that's one way to do it is pick up that wide angle. Right. You know, it's well, we all know that right now it's, it's an interesting point, Mike, but the rage is the remote camera stuff, right? Camera traps and stuff. And um, that image is because it's such a wide angle actually almost looks like it could be a camera trap type of image. You know what I mean? Right. And that's a, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyways, that's just an amazing. Well, and that's another thing to do too, is try some other technology. You know, the lenses is the easiest thing for us because we all have them, right? Mm -hmm. We all have a wide angle. We all have, you know, wide, medium and tight. But if you really want to up your game, that uh, camera trapping, that's, you think it's hard. You think it would be per fairly easy. Man, it's so hard, mm. and it's just a its a game. It's just a chess match with... I don't know. I think you just yeah. got to... Exactly. A chess match is a good good way to explain it. And I really think you have to have a good location to perfect it. You know, I think if you had a... Like, I got a spot out here that's private land where there's a lot of mountain lions. And I haven't done it yet, but I know the cameras are safe. I can try it day after day after day. That's what I want to do. I want to go just try to perfect it. You know, what's the best lens? What's the best distance? What's the best sensors? What's the best? Mm -hmm. And that'll cert certainly get you out. Of, or you either put you in a deeper funk or. <laughs> or <laughs> well, and the, you know, I had just talked to you about borrowing your camera trap, but I'm, I'm just going to buy one because I, there's so many uses for it around here. Um, but that's another way. If, you know, you get stuck in your mom's basement editing video for two months that's a way to keep yourself shooting, honestly, because you go out in the morning, you can set it, you leave it, come back, get it later, or, you know, leave it for a couple of days, see, see what you come away with. There's a lot of opportunity there that you wouldn't have if, you know, especially for those of us that are, you know, have a, a day job also. I don't anymore, but I did for a long time. And that's a way to keep shooting even, you know, while you're at work, that kind of thing. So that's something to consider. I let one of my buddies in Alaska borrow a camera trap all summer and he set it up and he's got, I don't know, maybe two or three or four acres a lot, but it's in Alaska on the hillside. So there's plenty of wildlife roaming around all the time, but having it in his backyard is sweet, right? Cause he could do exactly what you said. He could go out early in the morning and check it or just leave it alone for a couple of days, but it wasn't a big deal to go check it and then make the modifications. And he went so far as to, he was, whoops, I just hit the microphone. He went so far as to take the camera trap that I had, which is a buy off the shelf, put your camera in it and go. He got so into it that he's like, I think I could do it better. So he bought the components, the same components I had, but then bought his own box and mounted it differently because he felt like he could make that switch. That switch was going to work for him. So... That certainly has taken him down a little path that I would think would pull you out of a rut pretty easily. Yeah. It's fun. It's a big challenge, but it's fun. Well, yeah, and, and embrace those ruts, right? I mean, that's a that's a time to learn. I mean, I really believe that. I think they, we get in those ruts for a reason. You know, our creativity gets stagnant or for whatever reason. And all the things we're talking about, I'm sure there's lots of other people that have lots of great ideas, too, that I'd love to hear, um, you know, because I'm sure I could benefit from them. But yeah, just just an opportunity to learn, embrace it, and go with it, you know. Yeah. So, and Jason, you said you gave yourself, or you know, another ten years. 
You know, I've been right. doing and, this for like whatever, 30 years, and I feel like right. I still learn something every day. Yeah. You know, right, there's right. still something else that I can go out there and figure out. Right. Especially with technology changing so oh, fast, man. too. I mean, how do you ever stay on top of all that, you know? I'm so that being said, I do have an apology to put out because I had the video ready to go out. because, But the week that the video was going to go out on YouTube, Lightroom came out with all these changes. So now everything that I demonstrated in the previous video is done differently so i have to totally redo it and i'm, I'm not going to yeah, redo great. the outputs but at the end i'm going to i'm going to show you how to do it with today's today's lightroom is it that yeah. much different it is it's yeah really? because you have to access the brushes differently and and then yeah oh, that's true yeah. i did see that is it easier or harder or is it better or it's what, what, so what stinking it? easy it's ridiculous. Yeah, let's not yeah. talk about it. Let's not it talk is. about it. <laughs> it's so easy. Now, I will say the one easy. thing that yeah. changed for the worse was the luminosity masking prior to this update. Um, it actually gave you a relatively real looking image still. But if you use the luminosity masking tool that is in the current version, it takes it from realistic sharp image to cartoon graphics in a hurry i mean you can't you can't take that very far at all especially if you're putting serious so if you're only adjusting the highlights or if you're only adjusting the shadows it makes them look fake just you know one or two clicks so that is something they're going to need to work on because they definitely went backwards took a couple steps back as far as that was concerned but the masking is it's one touch, basically. Well, I think maybe we ought to, with this new technology we're using on these podcasts, maybe you guys should. We can share we the screen and we could do it. Yeah, we could do a little tutorial right on yeah. the podcast. So I can't share the screen, but I don't know enough about it anyways. You guys would be the ones that would be putting your screen up on the screen and talking about it. Yeah, and we definitely can so do that. So we should plan that for a podcast coming up in the new year. Yeah. A year after we said we were going to do that, we'll have that right up for you. <laughs> be patient with us <laughs> all right next question hi i'm sherry this question is for the wild and exposed guys so i'm thinking about going mirrorless and i've invested in the ef lenses the bigger lenses and i'm wondering if you guys are seeing any degradation in your photos if you've used the adapter uh, rather than going to the rf lenses thank you okay so that one's relatively the same question and i would say zero degradation if you're if you're just using the ef to rf adapter or the rf to ef to adapter there's zero degradation you're still going to have incredibly sharp images the biggest thing you save is weight and then there is that what is that lens that they have that is it a 28 to 70 f yeah you don't save any weight with that bad boy no you don't save any weight <laughs> with it it's it's huge but that is a reason to go with RF because I don't even think you can get that lens in the You can't. It's a two, two eight. So if it's a lens that you can't get, then go with RF, you know, because mm -hmm. that's going to be best technology. Yeah, I thought they actually, I just went, while, we're, while you're getting up another question wrong, um, I actually went and looked because I had heard that they had maybe done a little bit of some upgrades on some of the motors and that in the lens, but they actually did not. I From everything I can find, it looks like you get about a half a stop of improvement in um st image stabilization so it goes from 5 to 5.5 in lens so you get a little bit there by buying the rf mount or the r mount 
but is that worth the money and the change and all that? Because everything else is pretty much, and a little bit in weight actually. It's a little bit lighter because it's built in for whatever reason. But I mean, we're talking very very small, you know, improvements. So I'd say save your money and go on a wild and exposed. Ditto. Workshop. You're going to get a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. In the near future. <laughs> Hey, my name's Anand, and this is for the Wild and Exposed guys. Uh, my question is, since you guys are working pros, do you get to write off all the camera and lenses you buy? And also, do you get to write off the trips you guys take? The answer is hell to the yeah. <laughs> I've joked around for years where my life is a write-off. I mean, just about everything I do. I mean, you can justify, you know, something it, it doesn't matter yeah. what, what anything I buy, and I live it. You know, I live the the work, so it stands to reason. Because if I go buy a hard drive, it's for work. If I go to Costco and I'm buying like cotton swabs and all that kind of stuff, I'm using all those things for cleaning. And I mean, it's just nonstop. Right. Yeah. You know, I actually work really hard at coming up with expenses that aren't a write off because it's so pathetically. <laughs> I mean, I can write off everything. <laughs> and it is a yeah. benefit, but it only it's only a write off if you're making money, right? right? The only thing to be careful of is there are rules in place and whether or not they're enforced and they're not typically enforced, but if you are, let's say a, a part-time professional or you or you're starting a part-time photography business, you've got to show a profit 3 out of 5 years. And if you don't the IRS has the ability, whether they will or, or not, I don't know, I couldn't say, but they have the ability to come back. And if they do audit you and you haven't shown a profit for three out of five years, then it's considered a hobby. And then you're responsible for paying all that back tax with penalties. So it's something you really have to be careful of if you're a, you know, a part-time professional and, and you're doing it as a side business. Make sure it's a lucrative enough side business that you're able to show a profit. It doesn't have to be right. very right. so, profit, but it has to be a profit. Go ahead, Jason. Sorry. Right. Well, no, I just fit in that category, right? And so I, I do a lot of that, and I don't make a ton of money from this job. But a lot of I think some people might have the misperception too. It's like, say you have your normal everyday job, and then you got your photography job on the side, and let's say for example you sell two thousand dollars worth of prints. A lot of people think, well, then I went and bought, you know, with all my other money, I bought a camera gear and I paid for these trips and I spent $10,000 and stuff I could write off. Well, you don't get to write off all of that towards all of your income. You only get to write off that towards the photography aspect of the what you made. So back to Mike's point, you know, if you're at Ron's point, you got you to be able to show a profit or it does become a hobby and then, you know, you're held accountable for some things. So you got to, you know, another maybe tip on that is if you are just doing it part-time for ease of keeping yourself out of trouble, it might be worth having somebody do your taxes for you, um, you know, to help make sure you're not, you know, claiming things that you shouldn't and things of that nature. But for me, I know I claim all my mileage on my trips, you know, I claim the hotel costs and meals and I do claim gear and stuff, but I try to balance it so that I'm always showing that I'm making some amount of profit every year so i keep myself and if you do mileage make sure you keep a mileage log and it can't just be for your photography trips you've got to get your beginning mileage for the year ending mileage for the year and then you've got to log all your photography mileage and then you get that percentage whatever the percentage is for your taxes but 
I guess that's more information than we needed to share, but make sure you keep a log is what I'm saying. Michael <laughs> right. is diligent about that. Every time he stops for gas, he's logging his miles every time. It just was a habit I started a long time ago. And I was going to say that the other thing I do is I have an office up here that's 100% for work, right? But it's part of my home. You know, it's a separate building on the same lot, but it's separate. So I could very easily write it off, but I don't. Because I just don't want to raise that flag. You know, I think there's things like that the IRS will look at. Like, oh, I'm going to write off my home office. So I've got a 10 foot by 15 square foot room and you write off that square footage. Is it worth it? Is it worth getting audited just to save that? I don't even know what you're going to save by putting it out there. But for me, it's always been like, yeah, nah. If I had an office that was in an office building somewhere, then by all means I would do it. But since it's on the same property that I live on, I don't, I don't even mess with that. Because if the IRS agent walks into this room, they're going to know without a shadow of a doubt, nothing else happens in this room. There's, there's no <laughs> room for anything else to happen in here. <laughs> well, you might have a hard time claiming it because it's in your mom's basement, Ron. But... No, I, there's ways around that. <laughs> and and oh, all of this whole conversation that we've just had, need to qualify that because Nan is from Canada, and I don't know the tax laws in Canada. Right. So, you know, I would say you definitely want to talk to an accountant or talk to, a, you know, and then, you know, Mark, professional photographer up in Canada and see what the laws are up there and how they might apply to you at, you know, where you're at in your photography journey. Well, let me just add to that too then. And you said it, Jason, I have an accountant. I don't try to do this stuff on my own. I keep QuickBooks. I keep all that stuff. I make it as easy as I can for him, but I don't even want to mess with it. I don't want to get in that hole. You know, there's just so yeah. much to tax law that I don't even want to mess with. And it's right. worth it for me to just pay someone to be, keep me on the straight and narrow. Turbo, turbo. Yeah. Well, tax. and when you use them, they usually have, they usually have your back if you ever do get audited. You know, they they provide support, and you you know you're basically in the clear if there's any issues because they've taken on that responsibility. Mm -hmm. So right, and guaranteed, even if you use TurboTax, they can play the game better than TurboTax can. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, are we ready? Hi, my name is Denise, and I have a question for the Wild and Exposed podcast team. I would like to know um, what was the latest piece of gear you bought and why. Go ahead. Gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I think I bought the camera traps. This is the last latest thing that out of the ordinary. Yeah. Well, we've covered camera traps enough, so that should cover it. But that's what I bought. What about you, Jason? Uh, mine was that actually I was gonna say it was my 400 millimeter 2.8, but it's not. I actually bought the um, the RF 15 to 35 2.8. So I'm gonna be going south here really quick, and was looking forward to maybe doing some landscape stuff. And because I'm selling all my Nikon gear, I don't have a wide angle lens for my Nikon or my Canon setup yet. Well, I do now, but I didn't before I bought that. So. Uh, anyways, yeah, just adding to my Canon it's a good lens. Have you used it yet? Um, I have. I used it to take some, do some, some portrait stuff for my daughter with her. She's she's pregnant, like we've talked about, and doing some of her, you know, Instagram stuff and her um, reveal stuff and that. So yeah, I've been able to use it for some family photos and some stuff like that. It's it's a really neat lens. I mean, I know thirty five millimeter may not be the best. Um, for portraits, but it works, you know, as long as you stay at that 35 millimeter end, it's not, you don't get too much of the fish eye look, you know, so 
Do you get but it yeah, when you I'm, get down to 15? Do you yeah. start seeing oh, yeah. definitely. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's great when you're, you know, if you're at Horseshoe Bend or something where you need, you know, like 15 millimeters to be able to get everything. So, you know, I, I like, I'm, I'm liking to play with landscape more and more. And again, like we mentioned, I'm really liking the wider angle stuff and I want to do more of that kind of stuff. So, you know, again, it's one of those, like you mentioned, Mike, I can use it, challenge myself. Maybe there's some days I'll just go out in the field with just that. You know, I know other photographers that have been doing that lately. Um, and it forces you to really think differently and another way to get out of the rut, like we mentioned. So anyways, that's why I bought is to add to my lineup and hopefully for some landscape. Yeah. I just use it for my real estate stuff. 15 millimeter inside of a room. Uh, it looks huge. That's right. Yeah. That's a good point. So when you put that into Lightroom and you correct it for the lens, does it take, it doesn't take it all out, but the, out? in the same set of tools, you've got the transform sliders and that will take it out the the lens correction doesn't take it all out it'll help but the transform vertical transform takes it all out for me so it probably really is fairly easy when you're doing straight walls and corners and you got stuff to yeah actually look yep. at to make sure it's yeah straight, you can right? reference and there's always a you know a sweet spot in the room or your level that is going to give you the least amount of distortion and then it's you know you just fix it tweak it a little bit and you're good and what did you say, Jason? It was a 2.8? Yeah, it's a brand new lens with their RF or the R mount, you know, so. So is it? And it actually used to be in the EF. It 16, was a 16 yep. to 35, I think. Right. So you got another one millimeter out of it for whatever reason, but yeah. Is it one of those 82 millimeters or is it 77, 77. on the filter? Uh, 77, yeah. Yeah. It's still a pretty good size lens. It's bigger than mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be, but yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's fun. I'm excited about it, so. Cool. What about you, Ronnie? Um, I think I know the answer. Do you? Or have you made the purchase yet? I haven't made yet? the purchase yet. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess we could say it's because it's a done deal. But um, a red helium, which is 8K at 60, uh, 4K at, what is it, Mike, 200? Or is it 4K just at 120 frames a second? 4K at 120. And then you can go 240 at 2K? Yep. So it's it's got some super slow motion capabilities, but um, being able to film, the biggest thing for me was being able to film in 8K. And then, of course, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but the 30-second uh, pre-record is great. <laughs> and then, you know, the, just the, the red sensor is just so sweet, beautiful footage. So that is the purchase. So will you have it by the end of the year? Um, possibly. Yeah. I've got a, I, I have to wait because I get an allowance for equipment from my, the current contract I've got. So I've got to wait to get that reimbursement. So I don't want to pay for it too long before I can get the reimbursement. Who wrote that contract for you? Cause I want to hire them. Yours truly. <laughs> nice work. Good job. It was either that or buy the, the Mac M1, and I probably should have done that, but I'm going to wait another year, and, and then I can do that next year. Are they close in price? Uh, no. No, it would have been a lot cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I'd much rather have the camera, but I think you're going to be cussing. You're going to wish. There's, you yeah, definitely. Right I mean, right. there's definitely yeah. going to be some be a learning curve and be some frustration with the with that footage, but 
I also don't know how much I'll film in 8K still, but we'll see. Well, one of my one of the guys I work with, Travis, an editor, he's a shooter editor. He just texted me the other night. He's on a job right now, and he texted me, and he said, I just found a new way to work with proxies in Premiere. And he, when he gets back, he's going to show me. So I think he maybe might when he gets back, you need to call it. me and I'll come down there because I'm going to need to know that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think it, it, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. But yeah, that's the that's the latest. And that was a big chunk. Isn't there a new Topaz plugin that's for video that will make your 4K, 8K too and all that? <laughs> well, it's just, yeah, it sharpens like, it. I think for today's social media world, it's perfect. You know, for right, like yeah. a BBC shoot or for a, you know. It's not going to work. It won't, yeah. it, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's crazy what can be done out there. And sometimes I shoot some stuff and then I'll see it in a show. And I'm like, that did not look like that. You know, whatever they're doing, <laughs> these these post-processing people that are, whether they're editing or doing color or doing whatever the final look is. They're ma- it's magic. Yeah. It's they're so talented that but they that's, make this stuff look. I mean, amazing. the guys that do it. I, the project that I was on, they said, you know, get us some samples of vocalizations, and then we're going to have the guys in audio recreate it. So they don't even use what you recorded necessarily, but they're recreating it based on what you record. And it and the color guys they. That's the difference between them and us. I mean, they got somebody that all they do is color grade every day, and they just yep. That's where all the the magic happens. I think yeah. is in the color grading room. I wish I had, I wish I had that color, that eye for color. Mm-hmm. I, that's one thing I struggle with in my edits the most. I think is trying to make sure my colors yeah. are right. You know. But. Are you using a? Uh, we're getting totally down the rabbit hole, but <laughs> are you using a color corrective monitor? Yes, I am. And are you controlling the light in the room and all that jazz? Yes, I have a. It checks the ambient light and just you know, accordingly, brightness accordingly. And yes, I am doing all that. And I, you know, um, I even thought about getting me. They have the color cards, you know, the physical cards you can. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about doing that and just having that sitting next to me here while I'm editing. But um, some of the new X Rite color correctors calibrators they come with that stuff you know they're just you know it's already built in and that but so the last shoot i was on for bbc that's what they wanted is because i was shooting some static stuff so it wasn't wildlife it was habitat and they were i had to shoot the card in that light right and that way they knew you know it's a it's a it's like a pantone you know those are exact colors they call it the macbeth chart so you shoot that chart in that light and then as I was shooting throughout the day, if the light changed, I had to shoot it again because right. those That's color exactly, guys yep. get so dialed in and they're like, well, in this light, this color is this color or this is what it's supposed to be. So, Yeah, that's about the best way. I mean, Kelly and I, again, on one of our Teton day trips, we were talking about that and he actually mentioned that very thing that you said, even for foot, foot you know, even uh, even slow down, Jason, even for <laughs> photography, <laughs> you can do that very thing, you know, based mm-hmm. on the conditions, take a photo of that. Once you get everything set up, take a photo of the card and then shoot, do your shooting. And then when you get back, you always have that to reference to, to for you know, make temperature. sure your colors are right. So, you know, what it'd be cool is if you're shooting with Kelly all the time, which you not all the time, but you shoot with him quite a bit or you're shooting with right. one of us. Mm-hmm. So I purchased a bunch of those cards. You can get them on Amazon. Actually, I'll put a link in the show notes. 
But if you're shooting and I'm shooting, it would be great for me to just say, hey, Jason, and hold it up in the light. You know, even if we're shooting elk, it doesn't matter where, which way you're pointed. I mean, it kind of matters which way you're pointed, but it's that light. And then you have one, I have one, and we just share it. Right. That would be a really smooth way to do it. Because when you're by yourself and you're shooting a telephoto, it's tough. It's tough. You know, you run out. Set it up in the tree and you run back and it falls over because of the (laughs) wind. and yeah, (laughs) Or it's shaded by the tree or whatever. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But that would be a good way to do it if you were that critical about it. And I think as time goes on we are going to be that mm-hmm. critical about it especially right. for video because that's going to be another one of those things that separates it's hard it. to change it after the fact exactly well and as you guys know if you scroll through instagram i'll just say that you know there's a lot of opportunities for folks to pay attention to their colors and it's not you know it's hard i mean i'm not being mean it's just no, reality, I know, but that was I, a know. really good way to put it <laughs> it's just you know it's hard because you want to try to make sure your whites are white and your animal is the right color and it's not the same color as the rest of the you know so on and so forth so and some of that's artistic some people and do that some of purpose, it is so just, just a, it comes down to personal individuals use the same same filter for everything that they put out there that's very fair too they use mm-hmm. the same presets and they're looking they're doing it with the artistic yeah you know, that's thing the, in just mind. the style whatever i'm not trying to dog on anybody in, yeah. right exactly right but the hardest thing you just touched on unless you're shooting in snow white yeah. is hard in right. nature Right, you know, you you'll be shooting a stream and you got white. It's easier to find eighteen percent gray than it is to find something white. Yeah. Exactly, or you figure exactly. out a white patch on a on a, a deer. That's not always yeah. white, you know. Right, right. <laughs> yep, yep. Anyway, sorry, we beat that and we yeah. went in a rabbit hole, boy. Woo. Definitely <laughs> answered question. the crap out of that one. <laughs> 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 All right, next question. Here we go. Hey, it's Jamie, and I have a super secret pro tip for everybody that's trying to get a bigger lens. What you need to pitch is safety, because safety for you and safety for the animals are paramount. So instead of looking at the price tag of that 500 prime, look at how much further you can stay away. That's the best way to pitch it to your significant other. If they want this face to come home looking as good as when it left, totally worth the money. Just get it. I think uh, that's not going to work for me because any adjustment on my face is going to be an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. We had a, you know, we were advertising on Instagram today. I think we put out a thing on one of these bear trips. And one of the people commented that said, I hope you guys keep doing this because it's going to take me a couple of years to convince my wife to give me the money to go on one of these trips. So. Yeah. It's important. You got to have buy-in from the whole crew, right? Yep. Or Jamie does actually have a question. Hey, it's Jamie. And I have a question for the wild and exposed guys. What piece of gear did you purchase that almost caused a divorce? Goes right along with his, uh, hmm. his safety, his yeah. pro tip, his, his <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> I can actually answer it. And you know what? It funny enough, it didn't almost cause a divorce, but it caused friction for sure because my – and I bit the bullet and bought my first prime lens, and it was actually my Nikon 500-millimeter prime. Um, it, it raised a lot of questions and concerns, let's put it that way. So, I mean, it wasn't done without permission, but it was done with not a lot of support originally. And, you know, I I convinced her – it wasn't from a safety standpoint. I convinced her more from a 
I'm going to try to make a business out of this and make a go of it. And if I'm going to, I really need the equipment. But, you know, at the time, that was really tough for us to afford. And I could have bought a small car for the same amount of money I spent on that lens. So, you know, it's, yeah, back to you got to have buy-in. I definitely wouldn't recommend asking for forgiveness on something like that. I would definitely ask for permission. Um, there's other things that I would say just ask for forgiveness. Just go do it and then ask for forgiveness. This is not one of those. It's probably the kids' college fund for all three of my kids. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had. I mean, I've had some that were less popular than others, but <laughs> uh, for the most part, I've I've waited until the business has supported the purchase. And the less popular part was, well, you got to start someday putting some of this in your pocket instead of just spending it all. But I thought, you know, that's the opportunity for me to upgrade until, you know, like now I'm at the point where I really don't need much else at this point like when the r3 came out i was just uh, i was content with the r5 and it did everything i needed to do and um you know we'll see because i'm sure there's always going to be bigger and better we'll see what comes around but for right now i'm i'm pretty content and that you know that was the biggest thing was just the accumulation of purchases over the years but it's it's paid off so there's very little complaining from the boss. See, I have that conversation with myself all the time, you know, and I was him and hawing something for a long time where it's this little angel saying something and this little devil saying something. And, but I'll tell you what, if I bite the bullet, it's scary. It's always scary. Especially like if you're buying a red or you're buying a 600 F4, or you're buying a 400 28, you can go buy a car for that. Or you could fund a year of college with that. And you start or spending that kind of money, and it's a big, big expenditure, but it's always paid off. So I think if you're confident and you feel good, while you'll still have those feelings, if you're really, truly trying to make a go at it, you know, and that's what I've always told Ron when he's going after this red stuff. It's like, just do it. Just do it. Buy the thing already. Do it and don't, do it, don't look back because you won't regret it. Yeah. We're ready for another one. Yep. Hi, I'm Pilly, and I have a question for the Wild and Exposed team. My question is, aside from your cameras, what is the most important piece of gear that you own? Thanks. That comes from our very own Pilly Raycroft. And that's a really that good question. That is a good question. It really is. I think you guys ought to answer it so I can come up with my answer because I am <laughs> at a loss right now. Well, we might have some dead air for a minute. <laughs> it's easy for me, aside from cameras, but the the Sackler 18S2 um, fluid head that I just got this year. That For video, it's I tried to go cheaper, and you just can't. I mean, it's another car's worth of money. But you can't live without it. You can't do video without it. You've got to have something that's built to control the weight of the equipment that you have. And that's also going to be smooth as you make your transitions and is uh, has a high degree of adjustability, which this one does. This one and anything above it. No, that's you're spot on with that. Mine is my cell phone. I tell you what, that thing whether I'm doing maps 
or I'm using GPS type stuff for uh, marking locations or weather or texting apps, the text app that I use with Zolio, all of that stuff. I mean, and I was using it on a daily basis out, you know, when we're in remote areas of Alaska where the, the cell phone part of it's not even working, but I'm still using apps. I mean, I've got a whole, you know how you can put apps within groups. I've got a group of like photo and video apps that I use on a regular basis. So I would say for me, it's, if I didn't, you know, I've always said I want to go back in history. I'd love to go back and live a hundred years ago, but I only want to do it if I can take my iPhone. <laughs> right. <laughs> it makes you wonder how we ever lived 20 years ago, huh? Right. Totally. Just a lot more fun. I know <laughs> totally. that. No, that's a, that's a good one. That is a really good one. I'd have a hard time actually arguing with that one for what I do. But I think just to mix it up a little bit, I'll throw in, I think, honestly, it's my vehicle. Um, well, for you, you know, I, I agree 100%. I I live in that thing when I'm doing my photography stuff, and it's it's taken me all over the place. I mean, I just, my Subaru Outback, that stinking thing, it's four and a half years old now, and I've, I just crossed 170,000 miles. So, you know, I'm I'm putting some serious miles on that thing, and... Um, you know, so anyways, it's been super reliable and I live in that thing. It gets me where I need to go. It's gotten me out of some situations that I didn't think it would. Um, I've relied on that thing and it's just, it gets me where I need to go to do, to do this, you know? So I think that's an important tool too, to be honest. Do you, uh, you have it set up to sleep in the back of it too, right? I do. I can. Um, usually when I sleep in my vehicle, I take my truck and it's, you know, it's just as, you know, reliable and important to me, but, um, I would just say whatever vehicle I'm in is, you know, another good tool or an important tool other than my camera gear. Um, because especially in my truck, to your point, I mean, I literally live in that thing when I go take it and photograph. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. I, I look forward to like spring and fall when I am doing that. Cause I enjoy the truck camping aspect of it. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. It's adventurous and, you know, it's just different than, you know, staying in a hotel and that. And I, it, so far, I'm still enjoying that. I'm sure I'll get to a point where it's like, damn, bag that. I want to do a hotel. <laughs> but again, you're doing it on a budget. It really does help you to be able to spend that money on other things. You know, I can drive my truck. It costs me a little bit of gas. I take most of my food. I take a jet boil. I, you know, I bring all my own water. I can go do my thing for four or five days and it doesn't cost me much more than just some gas. So, you know. Well, and you showed up when we did the uh, lizard. You know, we yeah. were on some BLM roads that were out in the back country, and it's not maintained roads. And um, that thing right. got went everywhere I went. Yeah, it really did. The clearance on those things is incredible. Yeah. Anyways, and it's not a Subaru commercial, but <laughs> it uh, it kind of is because that thing has impressed the heck out of me. And I was a, I was a, I was a skeptic when I first bought it. So. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. <laughs> hey guys, my name's Dave Rothwell, and I'm going to give you a little pro tip today for the crew at Wild and Exposed. Uh, Wimberley heads. I, I I use one a fair bit with some bigger lenses, and occasionally I see people out in the field uh, doing what I think is a is a backwards setup. They put the control knobs for their Wimberley head on the same side as the shutter release. So 
you only have two choices here to make adjustments. You either have to reach over with your other hand or you take your finger off the shutter to make an adjustment, which to me is kind of backwards. So in my opinion, I think the proper way is to always have the control knobs on the opposite side from your shutter release. That way it allows you to freewheel around, look, do, and you're never taking your finger off of the shutter. And a, another good point with that is it allows you to always be checking that things are tight when you pick it up to transport it. I did see a very big rig fall off a camera, off a tripod in Alaska, and it was because he had it mounted the way we showed you at the beginning of the video. So there's my pro tip for the day. Hope it works for you guys. Thanks. Without a doubt. That's a good I one. I see people that have it on the right. I just cannot ever understand it. If I know them, I'll say something, try to get them to think it through. If I don't know them, I usually just walk away. But, um, yeah, keep your control knobs on the left, and it's a great tool, but only if it keeps you shooting. No comment. I agree 100%. Me too. <laughs> pro tip, Michael. Oh, we're to we're the, to pro, the tips? pro tips? All right. Jumping mine in. is, like, super, super cheap, but it's effective. But it kind of goes along with this whole thing that we were just talking about with the pro with the the Wimberley head. So you guys, I'll show this on the thing. Have you guys seen these before? Mm -mm. Yes, at your no. house. So <laughs> they call it an Audubon bird call. And how many times have you been out, like photographing a fox or photographing a any kind of little predator? And you just want them to look up, but they just won't look up. And you don't want to do the whole, hey, 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 or whistle, or clap your hands, or throw food. I mean, that stuff is just not cool. But if you can imitate a sound of an animal, it really works. Now, my best friend is, he's just got the, he can do it. He's like a, an ancient soul that can just make any sort of noise with his mouth, which is awesome because I know that he's going to get that animal to just, and it's not yelling or anything. It's just a little squeak or just a little whistle or, you know, it's some little, little sound. And this little device will create that. The only problem with it is, is it's hard to shoot and operate this thing, you know, operate the little bird call, but I should pull it out of the packaging, but all it is is a piece of wood with a piece of metal. And then you put a little, it's a, it, it's included with a little bit of talcum powder or some sort of powder in a little capsule. And you put that on there and it has enough little resistance when you twist it. You can imitate bird calls. You can just imitate like a little mouse or something. And it just really works. So if you want a fox just to twist its ear, it's perfect. But if you're by yourself, it's really difficult to get that. You know, they twist their ear for a millisecond. But if you're busy running the device, then you can't take a picture. So, But for me, I've uh, I put one in every bag. You know, I just have one with me all the time because it does, it does work. And it just, you know, we were talking earlier about culling images. I will not put out an image of an animal that doesn't have that in most situations. If it's just a regal pose, my things are always forward. The ears are always forward. You know, it's that alert pose. And sometimes you just get so many animals that are so acclimated to people that they don't, they're so used to the sounds we make that they don't even bother twisting their ears around. So. That's my pro tip. Jason? Good one. Well, <laughs> I already did you mine. You did one. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Um, I think I'll, I'll, I don't think I've done this one yet. It's a gear thing too, but, and it's something I learned when I went to Alaska. But a lot of times when you're trying to travel, um, you, you end up having a hard time, especially with your prime lenses, taking a, your lens hood. Um, and it's just big, it's bulky, takes up a lot of room. Well, I tried, I bought one of the lens coat lens hoods that, you know, collapse and fold down. And I'll tell you what, that's something I put in my bag all the time now when I'm going to do, I'm trying to go light. Um, it's very easy to put on. It works well and it's very packable and it doesn't take up a lot of room in your, in your photo bag. So just a, a little piece of advice, something to think about if you're going to do a trip to Africa or a bear trip to Alaska or something where you're trying to keep your, your gear down. That's a really good way to do it and keep your bag um, to be able to pack more stuff in your bag. Well, that's a great tip. That's really I, I have one. I heard it every the year. The other thing you can hearing you say that it's like it makes sense. You can do with those is it can go on several different lenses, right? Because you can it's adjustable, so it can go on the two or one hundred to five hundred and the six hundred. Yeah, I think they have different sizes. I think the one I have will work on either my four hundred or my six hundred or a five hundred or whatever any of the bigger primes and then they do make them for the smaller zooms like the one to 500 the one to 400 stuff like that well for me it's that time of the year where you kind of check yourself against last year and see if you're making improvement and gathering your you know jason does the coffee table books for the year and i try to do try to put together my top 12 um top 12 images from the year and this year, quite honestly, it's pretty easy because there are some big standouts. But um, in December every year, I try to do that right around New Year's. Just kind of go through the year and see what I liked. And then you, you have something to compare with the previous year and just see where your improvements lie, see where you can improve. Uh, it does wonders as you as you look back over the previous, you know, four or five years to see what kind of improvements you've made. It's a good one. Timely one too. Um, do you just use that top 12 off of Instagram? No, you know, no because just the ones a that get lot the most of likes or do you better have... ones don't, uh, don't ever see <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for that, right? Well, it's right around new year's. You're going to just see. Oh yeah. Top oh, nine, yeah, top 12. Coming. And yeah, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> oh, I got a little pet peeve here. Like, uh oh, a a rant. my top five, my top five <laughs> Colorado hikes. Oh, or whatever. Oh. And I'm like, do we have to do that? Do we have to tell everybody please, where the top five is at? Can we just keep some of these places by themselves? Well, I'll, I just want to publicly apologize. I, I get tagged quite a bit on, you know, what's your favorite black and white or what's your, you know, on a lot of those things and I'm I'm not trying to be mean or <laughs> I just just try not to spend that much time on social media and and I appreciate you guys thinking about me tagging me but I just don't you know I'm not I'm not trying to be ignorant is my point I'm just not don't have the time to spend trying to do that on all the tags that we get you know so and I, and they are kind of fun right they're a way to promote each other they're a way to do those things but again it's all about trying to balance your 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 personal time, your family time with the photography side of things and the, and the social media stuff too, you know, so much coming at us nowadays. I really, really got to try to balance all that. Let's just real quick, because we're doing the end of the year, right? 
and I know we're going on probably close to two hours on this episode, but um, what was your guys' favorite experience from this last year? Favorite experience and favorite podcast. How's that? Ooh, there you Nothing go. Nothing like putting anybody Ooh. on the spot. Right. No kidding. I can do the favorite podcast. I think my favorite podcast was meeting Polly Hessing. When I got to do that podcast with her, she's such an icon and such a, a early... I mean, she just showed up in Alaska in the 70s and single gal and just going out there and had no clue how to do anything but made it work and learned a ton. And then talking about her life experience over the last 30, 40 years was, I mean, I could have talked to her for another five or six hours easily just because it was just so much fun. That was for the podcast that was that. My podcast wasn't a podcast and it, it may not be fair. It's kind of a cop out. But <laughs> this is a recent one. Lee Hoy, we just had him on for the, the Nampa podcast. But the night that he was having trouble with his internet and we couldn't get him, we couldn't get his microphone to work, I have not laughed that hard in probably a decade. I I couldn't tell you. So, Ron, you got to, yeah, go ahead. He's he's talking to us. You got to lay the groundwork. So, yeah, still, we right. Yeah. So we are we're on ready to record, but Lee's having computer trouble, and he could not he he couldn't hear us at all. We could hear him just fine, and see him just fine, but he couldn't see or hear us because there were some crazy winds down in in Southwest Texas, and he has uh, satellite internet like I do, and so there is a, a chat feature on this. Riverside studio that we used to record the podcast. And so we started just chatting back and forth. So we'd type a question to him and it was just one thing after another. And he would just go off this one time he was, because he was talking about his camp down there at uh, great bend. And uh, as Lee was talking about his camp, he talked about this glamping area that he's got. And uh, I sent him a question. I just said, Hey, how much is it for your, your glamping area? And he, without even hesitating, he says, Ron, tonight's the first night I met you. I don't, I don't know you from anything, but I love you, man. And I would not ever allow you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but what's crazy about it, right, is it literally was like we, we, could, have, we w could have just been live talking to him. It was the weirdest, like, one-way conversation and everything, I mean, he was just, it was he, it was the Lee Hoy show. It I mean, it was crazy. It was the funniest thing I've ever and he just, experienced. he was such a great, funny. I cannot oh, imagine man, being on crazy, a workshop yeah. with that guy and getting any photos taken. Well, and if anybody's ever spent any time around Ron, when he gets in that giggly, like, when he can't stop laughing, <laughs> it's infectious because he's just got that, you just, you just go. It, it's one of those things, it's that deep belly kind of like, it's fun when you do it. <laughs> You don't want it to end because you're just laughing so hard. I think that's actually what ended up getting me invited to be on the podcast. But <laughs> we we had a lot of fun in Alaska when we went up there to shoot bears. We had a good time. <laughs> no, you know what's funny, Ron, is that I was going to say there was two that stood out to me. And one of them was um, just having Scott was, Wilson yep. back on and getting to catch up with him and you know him getting to talk about his new gallery and that he's working on, that he's opened up and – um, you know, get, getting to hear the success that he's had and how uh, his recovery has gone so well and everything. Um, and then the other one was the Lee Hoy one. And I, that one, you're right. I'm with you. 
that one where we didn't record. We should have recorded all that anyways. Um, but even though we didn't, the one that he actually, we did record, even though I wasn't on it, um, that was just a, that was, that was a, it touched right. me. You know I mean? I, yeah. for lack of a He's better a way to passionate, put it, it, passionate, he guy. really had some, absolutely, man. I just love that one. It really hit me. And I had, we, I, we saw a lot of feedback from that one too. A lot of people reached out and said that one really had an impact on them. So those are the ones that we always love, right? That just, the informational ones are great. These ones that we have fun and BS are fun and that, but those ones where we can get somebody on that really has a, a message to share and it's impactful or from experiences in life or whatever. Those are the ones that hit me the most. Yeah. But. Asking people about their favorite outdoor experience. I think uh, Lydia probably made me stop and <laughs> in my tracks because that one shocked me the most. It was funny. And then also uh, yeah, Steve Mathis. Was... So if you go back and listen to Lydia Ripplinger um, and then Steve Mathis and their favorite outdoor experiences, they were that just they stole the show on that question. You know, there were some great experiences mm -hmm. also like Stan Tequila and the wolves that were chasing the coyote. And he they were just his group was right in the middle of that whole thing just to experience that. You know that's that's become one of my favorite questions to have people answer because you get you get to know them at a you know their soul level when they because you can just see their eyes light up when they answer that question. So I think you know when Mike started asking that one, that was uh, that's always a, one of my favorite times in any guest podcast that we have, and we've got some great stuff coming, boys and girls. We we're gonna do. Uh, I don't know. Do we want to announce that or do we want to just let it happen naturally? Oh, <laughs> no, you can announce it. So we're going to start a trivia portion uh, for the podcast. And it's when we're on our own. It won't necessarily be every time that we have a guest, but it could be. Um, and those trivia areas are biological, photography. What was the other area, Mike? Conservation. So we'll have questions about those and, and we'll just kind of test all of our knowledge. So when this starts to happen, uh, Drew Hamilton is going to be our Alex Trebek. And uh, so we might have to find a way to get a, you guys the ability to send him questions without us seeing them. Because when we hear the question, that's going to be all we have. All the warning we have is just right on the show, on the spot. So, You know what's funny is I was talking to Drew today. I, and I haven't, I've, all this conversation about this whole thing has been over text, but today I called him and I said, so you're, you're good with doing this. And he's like, oh yeah. He said, as a matter of fact, I don't know how many, if you guys have ever been to Churchill or have read anything about Churchill, but it's this itty bitty little town, right? With, I don't know, one or two bars in it and that's it. Come to find out he's in charge of the trivia at one of the local little watering no holes way. in Churchill. So he's like. I've got access to 5,000 questions and, you know, trivia questions. So <laughs> gotta he's totally like yeah. jazzed to do it. Well, yeah, I told him it has to be photography or biology or conservation, but he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Don't worry about that. But I think we're going to get tested Great. for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, ex excited about fun. that one and excited about some of the guests that we have coming up to, to kick the year off. Um, just some crazy Absolutely. projects that have taken place and just give you an idea of what it takes to be a true conservation photographer and the extent that these guys are going to 
in the field. So so we didn't answer Jason's question, though, as far as the best shoot for the year for each one of us. Best experience, yeah. Or, yeah, it could mine's be an experience. Easy. What's yours, Jason? I'm, I almost cheated because mine's just that day I had in the Elk Woods. I mean, that's going to go down in history for me. I mean, that's – for me, elk is my favorite to photograph, as most people know, and – just to have an experience like that, just yeah, I'm gonna, I'll beat that dead horse for a long time. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to explain to people. Um, I should start hopefully fo- posting a few photos of that here over the next week or two. Um, so you know, hopefully, hopefully everybody else will agree <laughs> with the output. But even if they don't, honestly, the experience itself, you know, it's one of those where the experience was so incredible. What I was actually seeing with my eyes and what I was hearing will always be burned in there regardless of if any of those images ever or anything whether i sell a print or get on a mag it doesn't matter the experience was just incredible you know it's funny you were talking about that earlier and and when we were talking about something else and you're like i don't know if i'll ever get to experience that again and you know if you lived there if you had a cabin there there might be what one or two days a year where those conditions exist and then have it be during the rut exactly right yeah, exactly. All then... <laughs> these things that fall into place in that one spot. Right. It's it's such a you should have bought yeah. a lottery ticket. Yeah, I should have. I should have went left right then and <laughs> said, Let's go, we're going to Vegas. <laughs> what about you, Ron? I had a lot of good days this year, but I the best one that I can talk about is uh because some of those good days happen on projects. Uh, that haven't been released yet, but the the best one that I can talk about was honestly when uh, the trip that Jason and I were on in the uh, interior Yellowstone and the pine martin chasing the squirrel. I mean, you it's one of those moments that you see on video that somebody was fortunate enough to catch, but you don't ever imagine. We were we felt like we were fortunate to catch a pine martin earlier that day and just get an opportunity to photograph one, and then we come upon this snowmobile jam basically and uh get out and this thing is unfolding and it is what eight feet from the road eight ten feet from the road somewhere around there yeah and yeah real close everybody was behaved everybody kept their distance and just kind of let it go but it, it was just insane to be able to see something like that and watch that squirrel just wear that pine martin out it was strategic almost on his part it started to feel like anyway but no it totally was there's no question in my mind yeah that was that's a good one Ron. yeah survival of the fittest right and i think jason put well it was on your story at one point in time some of your cell phone footage and then i put up a clip um on my instagram page you can see it there too but yeah it was a it was a fun one well, and the fact that it went on for who, who knows minutes, how long it was going I mean, it before was we got there, and then it right. lasted a long time right. for us. Right, we couldn't pull ourselves away to leave. We're like, well, they're no, not done. We're not so going we're not anywhere, leaving, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's a good one, real. How about you, Michael? He, I was just, I was gonna say one, but then you said you couldn't talk about it, and I was one of the ones I was gonna say was one I probably shouldn't talk about either. So and then I'm now at a loss because I had another one, but that's another one that I can't talk about. So Well the problem is you do a projects. lot of projects. That, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's just it's so hard to get out there. So I, I don't know that I have one that I can talk about, but I definitely had some. It was pretty cool. I witnessed some things that you know, I got to film one thing that I've I don't know, I've been out there for so many years and you just it's exactly what you experienced, Jason. It's right time, right place, right light. 
and it happens to go on right where you can shoot it. You know, a lot of times these things go on, but it's across the valley or, you know, whatever. You hear a story and, oh, you just missed it. You know, this thing happened just five minutes ago. You know, a lot of times it's that. So when you get in a situation where you were there and it goes down, it's like, oh. That's what I tell everybody. It This stuff happens every day. Every day. It's just, if you're not out there, you never see it. I filmed in Denali a lot of years and you would get these two week permits where you could go out and have access to the park and just amazing access. And you might see a, a predation situation where you have a wolves chasing caribou or, and it's just so lucky to see it, but you know that it goes on in 6 million acres. It goes on every day somewhere in that park. It's probably happened in multiple places, you know, it just, but to get to see it is, just so amazing and special for sure so just get out there sorry i got the f30 f35s buzz in my house so. <laughs> oh is that what that noise is yeah <laughs> i want to fly in one of those yeah you and me both <laughs> that is just too cool. they are they are not quiet i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah well thank you all for coming along with us this year and for the last four years we're greatly looking forward to year five we've got some big things happening right now uh, some big changes coming to the podcast and then also some great additions coming to the podcast that I think you guys will enjoy and and we will for sure. Uh, it'll be something fun and, and it's something that you as, as listeners can take part in by sending in questions. Not to us. Don't let us see them. No cheating. Um, but we'll get you a contact point for Drew and you can submit your questions to him as long as they fit one of those categories. And then, again, look forward to seeing you all in the field. If you see us, make sure you say hello. Uh, we'll probably have some stickers or something to, to hand out, but just great to, to meet everybody in the field and, and uh, get to know as many of you as we can, to be honest, because every time it's enjoyable and, and we greatly look forward to it. That's happened a lot this year, and I really appreciate the folks that have come up and said hi and you know, the people I've got to meet and, you know, it's, it's an honor to meet you guys and to be able to shoot by some of you, you know, and sometimes in some cases. So yeah, please keep doing that. And like Ron said, we usually have some stickers or something to, you know, help, you know, hand out or say thank you or whatever, but yeah, please continue to, when you see us in the field to come say, Hey, You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.